He, 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 he. Thank you. Doug's secret place. This radioactivity is coming from Brian Suits on KFI. I would bomb the shit out of him. Dark Secret Place with Brian Suits on KFI. KFI AM, 640 more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until midnight. And then uh, Weekend Coast to Coast takes over. And uh, tomorrow night on Super Hyper Local Sunday, we'll uh, I'll play you some of the Art Bell highlights that, uh, that I found tonight. Art Bell, dead at the age of 72, of course, pioneering overnight uh, the mystery radio talk radio uh dead in nevada age of 72 well uh let's let's go back and give this context it was almost two weeks ago that came up uh that president trump was speaking in ohio and said that we were on the verge of getting out of syria yesterday in that speech but he did say this on syria have a listen we're knocking the hell out of isis we'll be coming out of syria like very soon let the other people take care of it now. Very soon. Very yeah. soon we're coming out. We're going to have 100% of the caliphate, as they call it, sometimes referred to as land. And then there you go. You, 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 uh, you heard the applause. Bashar Rasad obviously misinterpreting uh, that statement. The, uh, the, as you recall, the headline, the Pentagon was a bit surprised by, uh, by that announcement. And the next thing we know, chemical weapons are being used in the outskirts of Damascus, uh, in the suburb called Duma, which uh, if Damascus is the center of the clock, Duma is about 1 o'clock or, or one thirty. It's uh, several miles away from, from downtown Damascus. Damascus is the epicenter of Alawite power, Bashar Assad's uh, religious ethnicity. Uh, he, he Clearly, the strategic situation in 2018 is that he knows that Syria is not going to be Syria ever again, that armed Kurds are in the East. Uh, he empowered them. He told them they could have, uh, they could have the, near independence, but they had to fight ISIS for him. They had to do the heavy lifting for him. So they, they have done that. They've done it successfully with American supplies and leadership and organization. Uh, and so he knows that the area east of the Euphrates probably is not ever going to be Syria again. He's worried about the other two-thirds of Syria. So he uses chemical weapons, and the calculation that that we have to make before Friday night's uh, events uh, are: will his use of chemical weapons outweigh in his mind what he will lose? What are we willing to take from him so that it makes the use of chemical weapons uh, just not worth the investment? Because just to be clear. Chemical weapons, though banned by the uh, International Law of War and the Geneva Conventions 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, since the end of uh, uh, World War I and then the Geneva Conventions of the 20s and 30s, all sides have agreed the chemical weapons are not to be used on the battlefield against civilians or against troops. That was the lesson out of World War I. Um, the mechanism to punish people who do that has been really lax since World War I. The Russians got away with it in Afghanistan in the 80s. Saddam used mustard gas uh, and chlorine gas against the Iranians. The Iranians used gas against the Iraqis. Saddam used nerve gas against his own people, though technically they were Kurds. That, that was how he penciled it out. Uh, in the city of Halabja, 
in in the eighties. And so there has been precious little penalty for people who use chemical weapons. And to be dead honest with you, uh, in in many ways, uh, last night was uh, was minimal penalty as well. And I'll tell you why here in in, in just a minute. Um, the bottom line about the town where the chemical weapons were used is that Assad won the town back. So he used the chemical weapons, killed approximately 100 uh, civilians, but the rebel group, which is is connected and tied to al-Qaeda, uh, they surrendered. Uh, but but they serious civil war surrendered. They didn't actually put their arms up and wave a white flag. Assad sent buses for them to drive them away from the town and move them further to the east. That's how you win a town in the Syrian civil war. Assad sends tour buses for you. I I mean these are big huge luxury buses. They look like the 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 big red Beverly Hills city buses with the big wide mirrors, side view mirrors and and all that. They have TVs and big reclining seats. Assad sent buses to Duma, and the fighters got on the buses and left. And then Assad's forces rolled into Duma, and the Russians have made a really very strong point about this, showing video of people cheering the reentry of Syrian Arab army forces into Duma. So uh, that is what you're up against. So if you're Trump or you're the Pentagon, that's your challenge. So Nikki Haley's at the United Nations on Monday— um, uh, stating that the world is disgusted by this. So are the British, so are the French. The French are saying early on, if you're going to hit Syria, we want a piece of that. The British obviously can't let the French do that without them doing it, so they say, we want to as well. If not for that complication, the United States probably would have done this on Tuesday night, Wednesday at the latest. The sooner the better, right? It's just like when a puppy pees in the carpet. Uh, you, you can't rub his nose in it a day later. He has no idea what you're doing. So that consideration complicated things. But the planning consideration was, are we going to repeat what we did last year? Because last year we shot 59 missiles at an airfield and he had repaired it and it was working the next day. So quite literally, we, we made a point worse than no point. So if we repeat that, like, like I was saying last Saturday, um, if you repeat 59 missiles at a meaningless target, that's worse than doing nothing. So the decision was made that, well, this time, Assad has to feel a price. There has to be a price to be paid, um, especially since he was rewarded for using the chemical weapons. He got the town back. The town is in his possession. So what can we have him lose? Well, so uh, what are the other planning considerations? Well, okay, we've already decided we have to hit him harder than we did last year. But there's something different this year than there was last year. Last year, while the Russians were all over Syria, this year Putin says that unlike 2017, this year I am going to shoot back. And the Russians made all kinds of noises, including saying that not only would they shoot Tomahawk missiles down, but they would shoot the launch platforms down. And if you're unaware of this, uh, Tomahawk land attack missiles or TLAMs um, can be fired vertically from ships at sea, from frigates and destroyers. Um, they can be fired by submarines that don't have to, to uh, submerge. And they can be air-launched. So there's three different platforms that they could be talking about. Are they going to shoot at U.S. Navy ships that are 200 miles off of Syria? Are they going to shoot at 
at, at aircraft that are not in Syrian airspace? And uh, are they actually going to track a submarine maybe and sink that? So that's a real consideration. Um, until somebody in the intelligence community says, the Russians are saying that out loud, they don't really mean it because they have a lot to lose if they say that they're going to do that and they don't succeed. So they might be just saying that, hoping that we would say, well, that complicates things. We're not going to shoot missiles at you. So how did that decision go? Well, obviously, spoiler alert, we know what happened last night. But what, what was holding the decision back and how was this done? Uh, and then BDA, bomb damage assessment. Is this different than last year? Did we really take something of value from Assad? Uh, or has he found out that he gets a town, he liberates another town, the U.S. spends $250 million bucks, and all he loses are, are four buildings? Uh, we'll uh, answer that here in just a minute. Also, uh, where uh, well, total uh, American forces, both uh, ships in the Mediterranean, the Red Sea, and aircraft in the air, how complicated an operation was this and how was it coordinated on, on such, in all honesty, such short notice. Uh, that and more coming up. It's the Dark Secret Place. Brian sits in here until midnight, KFI AM640. More stimulating talk. <laughs> Hey, if I am 640 more stimulating talk, it is the dark secret place. Brian sits in here until uh, midnight. And uh, the calculation for the Russians, well, I'll talk about that uh, next hour. But if what happened a little over 24 hours ago seemed almost choreographed, it's because uh, obviously it, it was like it was last year. And you'll, you'll recall early on uh, last year, I, I think I was probably the first in the American media to reveal that the, the Russians have been given a heads up by the, the United States about hitting the Syrian airbase with cruise missiles for the purpose of preventing any collateral damage uh, in, in the form of people holding Russian passports. Then last Sunday, you saw something very similar when the Israelis hit Syria, knowing full well that we were about to do it. Um, last Sunday, the Israelis, sort of as a proof of concept, were showing that the uh, the, the Russians could be worked with because uh, Tel Aviv and Moscow have had a working agreement for well over a year now to deconflict the airspace as Israel continues to punish Hezbollah or Iran like they did uh, today as well. They will always coordinate with Moscow uh, for two reasons, because they don't want a, any sort of unfortunate accidental confrontation in the skies above Syria where Israeli escort aircraft have to confront and shoot down or be shot down by Russian fighter aircraft, who, who are the ones who have, you know, were legally invited into Syria by the, the legally recognized government, uh, UN-recognized government of Bashar Assad. So they, they deconflict that. Um, the Russians, it was thought that the Russians as a, did a courtesy call to the Iranians and said, heads up, you might want to find a heavy desk in the next 20 minutes, but... Uh, apparently not, because last Sunday, the Russians left the base that was hit, uh, the T-4 air base, and uh, 15 Iranians were killed. So I'm guessing when those Russians came back, maybe they weren't the most uh, welcome guys at the base. But reason number two uh, that they do this um, is uh, because the Russians don't want to be in the position of of claiming that they have this world-leading air defense system 
And then it turns out it's not that effective. So in other words, they're delaying the actual use of it. So at this point, with the Israeli Air Force dropping bombs with impunity on Syria, and now the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, Royal Air Force, uh, and Air Force of the Republic of France uh, shooting cruise missiles into Syria, you now have to wonder why do the Russians even have their air defense system there at all? I mean, unless it is just for for S&G, for, for giggles. Um, and in all likelihood, the Russians didn't even have it up because uh, our as, as we prepare the air assault, it's a multi-day um, process. And, and it's, thing number one is get the electronic intelligence aircraft up in the air, both manned and unmanned. So there, there's a craft, the RQ-4. Uh, it's a reconnaissance drone, so the R and the Q. Uh, the Northrop 4th model, the RQ-4B, made out in Palmdale. And it takes off from Sicily. And from Sicily, this aircraft can go and do 18 hours over Ukraine. And then it can fly north, and it can do eight more hours over Estonia. And then it can, at, this is at 52,000 feet, and then it can make it back to Sicily uh, with fuel to spare. So that aircraft takes off on late Wednesday and begins flying large ovals. They look like NASCAR racetracks uh, in the eastern Mediterranean, um, about 50 miles to 100 miles west of the coastline of Syria. Why would that aircraft be there at 52,000 feet? Well, it is hoovering up intelligence, including everything from radar bandwidth, radar frequencies, uh, including digital radar, to cell phones, et cetera. So it's building a book on the Syrian air defense. Who, who is tracking me as I'm flying around? That aircraft flew for over 21 hours. Um, then uh, early Thursday, uh, Syria time, Another RQ-4 Global Hawk took off, and it did 21 hours. And so it, it is sitting there omnipresent at 52,000 feet. There's no other aircraft in the area. All the civilian aircraft have left. And so that plane is up, unmanned. It's up there for, uh, by hour, hour 19 was when the Tomahawks began coming into, uh, into Syria, as well as the French missiles and the British missiles. It was It's interesting because... They were testing new systems just like we were. Um, the The only manned American aircraft that got close to Syrian airspace were two B-1Bs from uh, Al-Udaid Air Base uh, in, uh, uh, in Kuwait. And they dropped a new what's called joint attack standoff missile. This is a missile. This is, this is beyond a cruise missile. This is a, a missile so smart it, can, it gets to pick and choose its own target. And this is what, when Trump tweeted out on Wednesday, look out Russia, because here they come, uh, new and shiny and, quote, smart, uh, close quote. This is uh, what, what he, that was his takeaway when he was told the capabilities uh, of the new missile. And we were not using this as an experiment. The missile has been in service. It was pretty much going to be used at whatever the next war was. It just so happens to be uh, this use of force or this demonstration of force. And so... The British have their own cruise missile system that they wanted to get in on the show. So did the French, called the Scalp. Uh, and uh, then we have between our Tomahawks, which were ship-launched, and then the 
joint attack standoff missiles. So the uh, as I was uh, describing to Gary Hoffman on the filling in for Shen Farron uh, this week on the Gary and Shen show, that the the point this year, just like it was last year, uh, the the demonstration is most effective if as many missiles get through as possible. Now, in all likelihood, because a lot of the Tomahawks are old, in some cases they're a decade and a half old or even 20 years old, um, there are normal maintenance issues. Uh, and you know, look, bottom line, it's a plane. It's a plane with a jet engine, and we don't know. Um, as it turns out, the Pentagon says that every missile made it to its target. So there were no mechanical issues in the middle of the mountains or anything like that, and as well as all the French missiles and British missiles uh, made it. But the point is to not launch them at the same time because, of course, they have different times of flight. The ships at sea are 80 miles away from Syria. The uh, RAF aircraft took off from Cyprus. They launched their weapons um, uh 50 miles away or 100 miles away from Syria. The point is for everything to impact virtually simultaneously. And that is how you overwhelm the air defense. And this is just in case the Russians actually turned it up. So what did happen? What was the damage? How did it sound? I'll play that for you when we come back. Uh, and then we get into the assessment, the BDA, the battle damage assessment. Uh, what good did this do if Assad didn't get the message? Well, did he get the message uh, and how was this delivered? And how are you telling me there's no casualties? There's no dead? Well, that's a real simple answer uh, when we come back. It is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. KFI M640. More stimulating talk. more stimulating talk. I thought I would mash up Greta Van Fleet with uh, bomb sitting with Damascus. Yeah. Bad taste. So, uh, we're talking about the planning that went into this. Like I said, if the UK and France had not signed on, we could have accomplished this on Tuesday or Wednesday night, making that point. But it was, uh, the calculation was, well, we're sending a bigger message if uh, the UK and France are on board. And the French insisted. By the way, the Saudis wanted to be a part of this, but that would have been uh, a, a far more complex issue at that point because they would have brought along the Sunni versus Shia crap that, that would add another layer. We wanted to keep it really simple at the UN, and it was, you use chemical weapons, you're going to pay a price. So that's, that's the, uh, the reason for that. Uh, like I say, the, the the end state here is a Bashar Assad who can sit down with his people, the Alawites, the minority uh, religious sect that runs Syria and is running an increasingly shrinking Syria, and make uh, an impact on them that 59 cruise missiles being fired at the same distant, dusty airfield didn't make a year ago. So this time it had to literally hit home. And so one of the facilities uh, that was uh, hit was a uh, chemical research, research facility where uh, chlorine gas and apparently nerve gas, the, the sarin, uh, was, is, is manufactured and then also packaged. So it's, it's actually an assembly line into munitions that can be dropped by Syrian helicopters or aircraft. So it's the one-stop shop 
for the deadly gas, right? Um, and so the point had to hit home and hit home hard simultaneously. So again, you have B-1s from Kuwait. You have RAF aircraft taking off from Cyprus in the Mediterranean. Uh, you have French aircraft uh, taking off from the Saint-Dizier Air Base in France. And then you have U.S. Navy ships, not just in the Mediterranean, but in the Red Sea. So pull back a bit on your Google Earth. Picture the eastern Mediterranean and the Sinai Peninsula. Um, that's the northern end of the Red Sea. So two or three of the U.S. Navy craft that, that fired a total of about uh, 40 of, their, of those missiles, of the Tomahawks, were in the Red Sea. And so, in other words, somebody had to be the first to fire. And, and uh, some of the Tomahawks, uh, by the way, later models, newer models of the Tomahawk missile, have the ability to loiter. They don't have to hit till you tell them to hit. Uh, I mean, in other words, they can take their time getting to the target so that you have a maximum time on target shock impact. So here's how it sounded. This is only 37 seconds. Uh, but there's two bits of, of audio of, of Tomahawk and other cruise munitions hitting Damascus. So this is uh, whatever it was, 4 a.m. Damascus time. Um, and uh, this, is, this is how it sounded from an apartment. You begin seeing the distant flashes. So if you lost count, then Tim Conway played this last night. If you lost count, that was uh, a, a, about 45 cruise missiles hitting in a span. Uh, well, what am I? I'm not going to guess it. I can just look right here. Uh, hit About 45 cruise missiles hitting in 30 seconds. So they were all launched uh, between an hour and a half or an hour before, and they they were designed to impact at, at those intervals. I mean, they were they were hitting precisely. At the time they were uh, uh, designated to hit, and so the the effect on this this was the building outside of Damascus where the chemical weapons were made and the whole thing. So people in Damascus felt explosions and heard explosions like they have not heard in decades. Even in 1982, when the Israelis went to war in South Lebanon and went to war with the uh, Syrians, they weren't bombing Damascus. So Damascus at no point in the past seven years of the Civil War has been hit like that. And so the, the intent of that is that all of the Damascus residents who knew this was coming, so much so that this guy had a camera set up on a tripod, and he was aiming it at clearly what he knew to be a, a key facility, a, a likely target, because this guy got the entire impact in 37 seconds of, of video. So are the people of Damascus impressed? Well, they're supposed to be. They should be. Let's hope they are. Because that's the calculation, that they go to the Alawite power structure and say, yeah, let's not have that happen again. Don't use chemical weapons again. Again, the, and I'll talk about this next hour as well. I mean, the cynic in me, uh, you know, uh, is going to remind you, like I said on Kennedy um, earlier this week on Fox Business, that we're telling Assad, can you just go back to killing five-year-olds with cluster bombs like a civilized man? And as cynical as that is, 
um, it, it really does sort of recognize the line that you cross with chemical weapons. And if you're, if you're someone out there wondering, well, I don't get it. What is it about these weapons? Why, why now? Why, why do we blow this guy up, his facilities, because he uses chemical weapons instead of cluster bombs? Well, again, like I say, it's a bit hypocritical. I, I, it, it may appear like that. But if you read up on World War I and the absolute horror of battlefield chemicals, battlefield chemical weapons, you'll understand why the world came together after World War I and said no more chemical weapons. World War II was fought by veterans of the First War. Hitler had been gassed. A lot of the British senior leadership recalled the horror of gas in the trenches in World War I. And there was never a treaty or a formal agreement amongst all the sides between Russia, Germany, Italy, the United States, and Britain. It's just that what was remembered by the men from that generation was that is horrible, and I don't want this war turning into that war. So none of the sides used nerve gas. Even though, if you were Rommel and you were defending Normandy, you would say, you know what would come in really, really handy around 8 a.m. on June 6, 1944, would be a whole bunch of chemical landmines. Well, they never did that. Because Rommel was a World War I veteran. Hitler was a World War I veteran. That's the reason this stuff is in an absolutely different category. Now, in the Cold War, both sides had huge chemical uh, arsenals, but we mutually agreed to destroy them in the 90s. And we did. Ours are gone. We don't have any, any anymore. And you're not supposed to possess them. I mean, literally possess them. Assad was wrong for just possessing them. So that's why we will now allow Assad to go back to killing five-year-olds with cluster bombs. I, I understand as hypocritical as it sounds, that's the reason for that. That's the entire purpose of that. Um, so will it work? Did it make a, did the, is the guy sitting there saying, I'll, I'll put up with that once a year. If I can take a town that's been holding out for seven years, that's worth me taking that town. Will he do that? Well, we'll talk about that. We'll continue talking about that. And also, like, like I've been saying, the other audience for what happened last night is in North Korea. The other, the other viewer, the other message that we were sending was to Pyongyang, to Kim Jong-un. And the message was, do you see how easy this is for us? Well, how easy was it? Really, honestly. Was there some coordination between the U.S. and Russia? Well, we'll talk about that. Because there kind of had to be. Uh, that and more coming up. It's the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until midnight at KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. <laughs> Forty more stimulating talking is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. Man, that's a sad day when Alexa's reading to your kid. What happened, what happened to talk, read, sing? Huh? But uh, anyway, well, so um, the airstrikes, or rather, the cruise missile strikes, went off. It would seem uh, remarkably hitch-free. The Pentagon is saying that uh, all of the missiles, including the French. And the U.K. missiles did, in fact, hit the targets. They're all accounted for, and they all went boom. Uh, more on that uh, next hour. But it seems remarkably casually free on the Syrian side. Unlike Sunday, when the Iraqi, probably when the uh, Israelis uh, killed 15 to 20 uh, Iranians, or last year when the U.S. killed a bunch of Syrians, but of course no Russians, this one seems almost like someone was given a heads up. And that is the other part of the calculation that, that led to this, is that 
Putin stated, hey, this isn't like Sunday and this isn't like, not like last year. This year, we have our homies back. This year, uh, th this week anyway, we have Assad's back. Because, I mean, what the hell kind of ally would we be if we stop, uh, if we continue to, to uh, fail to warn him when what your targets are and et cetera. And so there was a really weird thing that started happening on Wednesday. And I talked about this on, on Thursday on uh, Gary and Shannon, that the Syrian Ministry of Defense emptied out on Thursday. And of course, Thursday is the eve of the holy day in Islam uh, and Israel, for that matter. And the Ministry of Defense empties out anyway for the weekend, just like the Pentagon empties out, but it doesn't really empty out. Even on the weekends, there's several hundred people at the Pentagon. And even on the weekends, on a Friday, there are uh, many, many people at the Syrian Ministry of Defense. Okay, so what, what did happen? Well, it would seem, because uh, also in the neighborhood where the Ministry of Defense is, there uh, were people seen taping their windows and things like that. Things that you do prior to uh, that residents of Baghdad did, or residents of London did in World War II or, or Berlin you you put masking tape on windows to minimize the shrapnel uh, or the shards of glass. And so people in the neighborhood of the Ministry of Defense were uh, either smart enough to figure out this is a likely target uh, or they were told to start taping your windows. Um, what seems most likely is that the United States, by Wednesday, no matter what Putin was saying, uh, was coordinating with the Russians to communicate with the Syrians that, look, this is going to happen, and we can do it easy or we can do it real easy. Uh, we have several targets that we're looking at. We don't want to kill civilians. It, it'll, it'll be on you if civilians die, but we are going to be destroying a arsenal of chemical weapons up in Homs, and we are going to be destroying where they're made. So we're going to hyper-target hyper narrow cast the message here. And so here we are 24 hours later and officially there are, uh, there are wounded, but the Syrians are not admitting to any dead. And so uh, either it's remarkable luck on, on their part and the Russians part and the Iranians and Hezbollah, or they were given a heads up. The latter uh, seems to be the most likely, or is it the former? I forgot. Um, you know, it's the latter that uh, the the coincidence is just too darn good because the Russians, as it turns out, and I'll tell you why next hour, did not employ their vaunted air defense. And they do have some, um, at least it was thought that this is some of the world's leading air defense missile systems. They have them sitting there at their air base. And they've also moved some of them inland into uh, the interior of Syria to support, you know, Syrian forces, I guess, in the in, in case... The Turks, you know, start flying F-16s into Syria or, or whatever. But they were not employed. Why were they not employed? Several reasons, but the most obvious first reason is that because what happened was ag agreed to. N and maybe not sitting there playing Star Trek chess or something, but the United States said to Putin, we will be hitting several targets We'll tell you which targets to empty. We Maybe not all of these and maybe none of them, but the following buildings should be absolutely emptied of people. So that's why it was unusual because the Syrian Ministry of Defense didn't just empty out for a weekend on Thursday. Nobody was there. There were no cars in the parking lot. There was no one in there. They got out of the building because they assumed or we told them that the Ministry of Defense was a legit target.
And I think it would have been, but it would have required another hundred missiles. But also it was in a, it's the, uh, the Syrian ministry of defense is in a dense urban area. And so clearly we are trying to avoid uh, any collateral damage or, or civilian casualties. Cause obviously that would sort of bury the point that would obviate the point that we were trying to make of, of, kill civilians humanely don't kill them with sarin so we didn't want any scenes of collapsed buildings and children being pulled out of the rubble and i gotta say knowing what i know about uh uh how easy it is for weapons to not work and go off target the fact that we're not seeing collateral damage scenes even staged scenes out of damascus of buildings that were accidentally hit and Five-year-old kids pulled out dead. That is really remarkable. So you, uh, you know, I mean, in all honesty, uh, it, you look back at Desert Storm, so-called surgical strikes or smart bomb hits. This really was astounding. But it happened clearly because we had the cooperation of the other side. Effectively, you had the goalie move aside. And we said, look, we have 20 soccer balls and there's one of you. We are going to score. We, the issue at this point is we just don't want to hit you in the balls. So we need you to step aside because you can either lose 19 to zero and not be able to walk, or you can lose 20 to zero and be able to walk. And that's effectively what happened. Uh, all right. So who else was paying attention? We'll talk about that next hour. Uh, the, the other people that the message was, uh, was sent on the other side of the world, that a more dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. KFI M640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Hour number two, Brian sits in here until uh, midnight. Uh, tomorrow night on Super Hyper Local Sunday, I'll be joined by Bridget Fetisi. She is a columnist for Playboy.com and uh, a bunch of other uh, online places. We'll talk about Los Angeles, some local stuff. Then uh, also tomorrow night, uh, Art Bell, dead at 72 today. I'll play uh, some some highlights tomorrow night of when Art Bell hosted uh, Coast to Coast. So more on some of the uh, the fallout from the uh, the concentrated strikes of uh, cruise missiles uh, last night in Damascus and uh, homes to the north of uh, Damascus. Uh, as I said last hour, <clears throat> uh, the... Um, the other audience that was uh, th- this entire display was intended for is in Pyongyang, is in North Korea, because in the next few weeks, we will turn our attention to a summit that's supposed to happen between President Trump and Kim Jong-un, as well as South Korea. We still don't know where it's going to take place, but a-, a lot of North Korean posturing is uh, based on a lot of assumptions that American intelligence and uh, American offensive power uh, cannot reach every single target that we need to reach in North Korea. And so the demonstration of new technology, such as the the extended range JASM, as I said, the, the missiles that were uh, that were employed by the B-1Bs, and the ability of the United States, as well as Britain and France, to reach into Syria without actually cracking into Syrian airspace, or for that matter, putting the air crews 
at risk, but getting even close to the air defense systems. Uh, that is a very powerful message. It's a f- powerful message in North Korea, and it's a very powerful message in China. Most powerfully, uh, it was it was heard in Moscow. But to to uh, re- review what I was talking about last hour, um, the electronic intelligence and the the intelligence preparation of the battlefield, the so-called IPB, of uh, of what happened. Uh, led led to a extremely successful employment of cruise missiles, probably far more successful than last year, uh, and for that matter, far more successful than even the beginning of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003, um, because the guidance systems and the actual missiles themselves have greater range, have their own electronic countermeasures, uh, and are also far more precise. So you you need fewer munitions to take down the same target. Like in 1991, uh, we we needed 40 or 50 Tomahawk land attack missiles, TLAMs, launched either by ship or plane. We need about 40 needed about 40 per target to call that target destroyed. If it was a two or three story reinforced uh, uh, concrete building. Uh, the Boeing air launch cruise missile was the least successful back in 91, uh, as well as 2003. In fact, the palace where, where my fob was in Baghdad, uh, we we had the tail section of a, a Boeing uh, air launch cruise missile that we all took pictures with. The warhead went off, but the tail section was still embedded in like a four-story wall of a palace. Uh, and that palace, besides the seeing some of the, the, the holes through successive floors from JDAMs, from from uh, joint directed attack munitions, which are the thousand pounders that we buckled, you know, GPS uh, on. Uh, th- those did the most damage. The cruise missiles actually were not very impressive. Well, n- now because they're far more precise and they're far more uh, destructive, they're very impressive. So the 2018 uh, possibility of your key infrastructure being disabled by cruise missiles is far more realistic than it was in uh, in 2003. Just in 15 years, cruise missiles, which were already a pretty astounding weapon system uh, in 1991, were even more precise and destructive in 2003. But now in 2018, not only can they penetrate your airspace successfully without, without evidently being uh, interfered with, even if you're trying, well, they also have their own electronic countermeasures on board, and they will make it to the target. And the question is, how many does it take to drop the target? So for the North Koreans, the, they were paying very, very, very close attention. And by the way, it wouldn't surprise me in the least uh, if North Koreans were physically present there in Damascus because North Koreans were in the Iranian nuclear facility that was built in Syria in 2007 when the uh, Israelis destroyed it. North Koreans were killed in that strike. They they have a long history of cooperation with Iran on nuclear issues uh, and, and then, oh, by the way, uh, Syria. But regardless, even if there were North, no North Koreans present, the North Koreans saw what happened uh, and they're looking in totality at what led to a situation where uh, a nation at war, given advanced warning that something was probably going to happen, still could not prevent mo- uh, uh, more than 5% of the missiles getting through. 
The Pentagon says none of the missiles were actually shot down. Uh, the Russians are, are claiming that 71 of 103 were shot down, but there is absolutely no evidence that anything like that even happened. There's no video. There's no still photos. There's no eyewitnesses, no nothing. Um, so the North Koreans are also looking at what exactly it means, I guess, to be an ally of Vladimir Putin. Um, is there any doubt that the Russians could have at least coordinated air defense uh, and and uh, assist the Syrians in downing some of those missiles? Well, yes, there's no doubt. I mean, pardon me, there's no doubt whatsoever that, in fact, Putin had said a week ago that this would be different than last year, that Russia would support its ally, Syria. But it, it became fairly crystal clear that once again, the Russians were avoiding a confrontation. And there are reports that, and there were reports that the Russians actually moved some aircraft out of Syria and into Iran, uh, asking the Iranians uh, uh, late Wednesday if they could have the use of a base that was close to the Iraqi border. And, and so it, it becomes fairly clear here that Putin made a calculation that the United States wanted to do this, wanted to get kinetic, blow stuff up, make a point to Assad not to use chemical weapons, and that it wasn't worth uh, the risk for Putin of either showing what his weapon systems could do or could not do. So what exactly does that mean? Well, here's the deal. The Russians have, in Syria, some of their most advanced air defense systems, the S-400 Triumph, System. This is the uh, the system that Turkey reportedly wants uh, wants to buy. I don't know if they'll get the full version because they are still even. I mean, technically, still a NATO nation. The Iranians want this system as well, and it is supposedly the world's best because it works at lower altitudes, slow moving and fast moving craft down to a thousand feet, and it works on slow moving or fast moving craft up to fifty thousand feet out to a four hundred kilometer range. So that's a very, very impressive system. Um, we we have the Patriot Pack three uh, and and other systems, but they don't have the range that this Russian system have uh, has. And Putin is very, very keen to show it off, especially in a real real world scenario, uh, real world scenario like this. But the deal is, at the last minute, he didn't employ the system, and in fact, the Russians basically stood down. So. So uh, just like last year and just like last Sunday when the Israelis bombed Syria, uh, the, the price of being Putin's friend is that he gets to pick and choose if and when he will get your back. And so the, the obvious coordination between our side and the Russian side uh, explains part of the reason why this uh, cruise missile strike went off really without a hitch. But there is something else uh, as well. And uh, we'll cover that right after this. It's the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until midnight on KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until uh, midnight. And Russian air defense systems did not attempt to interdict or intercept the cruise missiles that um, uh, Russian, uh, pardon me, uh, U uh, French, British, and American cruise missiles uh, on their punitive mission into Damascus uh, uh, more than 24 hours ago. 
it was coordinated to be like that. You know that if you've been listening me to me for a long enough time. But there, there's another consideration that uh, Putin had to throw into the calculation, and it is that he knows that the air defense systems that they have there in Syria are nominally uh, very, very good. They're advertised to be some of the world's best. The Russians report tests that are very impressive, and they report ranges and lethality that are, that are very, very impressive. But they have never been tested in combat. And for Putin, the, uh, the, the downside of actually backing up what he said, that 2018 is different, and that this year he will defend Syrian airspace from any incursion, the downside of that is that uh, American technology, especially the, the newest cruise missiles, the JASSM extended range, dropped from the B-1B, just very well might be better than his air defense. And at a crucial time like this, and, and I'm not kidding about this, uh, this week the Russian stock market lost $12 billion in value. The, the one part of uh, the export economy of Russia that's doing very well are the arms exports. The energy exports are in the pooper. The Russian economy is still smaller than Italy, and the Italians uh, export four different car brands, you know, Fiat, Alfa Romeo, Lamborghini, uh, and Ferrari, and then four different motorcycles. I mean, uh, you know, what, what's the last Russian car you saw on the road? And so for the Russians to, uh, to uh, introduce doubt uh, or skepticism into uh, Russian uh, weapon exports would possibly kill the business, because right now one of their biggest moneymakers are their air defense systems. And for Putin, the lose-lose here is if he backs up his friend Bashar Assad and Syria by using his air defense systems, but the American unmanned aircraft still get through and destroy their targets, then what the hell are you spending money on buying Russian air defense systems? Um, if they had been utilized, for instance, and actually downed an American aircraft, then pretty much America would be involved in the Syrian war uh, on, on whatever side is the opposite of Russia, whether that's the Turks invading northern Syria or whatever. But bottom line, for Putin, um, it, for, for him, it just was a losing proposition to get involved because uh, he, he has to, at that point, uh, brief Assad and say, listen, buddy, um, at least this year we got a heads up, uh, and I can give you a heads up on what the targets are so you, don't, you won't lose Syrians. Unlike Sunday, when the uh, Israelis uh, hit that airbase and all the Russians had left before the bombs got there. This time, I'm telling you what the targets are, uh, and I'm telling you that I'm not going to shoot them down. And if Assad said, yeah, but I thought your air defense systems were the best ever, um, then Putin says, well, shut up. It's none of your business, and who cares, and maybe I'll pull them out of your country anyway. But it's not hard to figure out. That a lot of people in the Russian defense industry have been telling Putin since 2015, okay, here's the problem. You send these systems there and you have us power up and start energizing and radiating. And that means that the Americans, the Israelis, absolutely everybody knows exactly how our systems operate at that point. And so uh, it will, we will surprise nobody with how effective they are if we're actually using them. And that's what happened. And so the, uh, the American system, 
the Northrop RQ-4, the Global Hawk. This is that huge UAV, uh, the approximate dimensions of a 737. The fuselage is a little shorter, but the wingspan uh, is as wide or slightly wider. Single engine Northrop product. It's got that weird, uh, almost like a bird head eagle nose uh, V-tail, and they make them in Palmdale. The Germans just ordered four of them for the German Navy. Uh, four of the RQ-4 drones at $1.2 billion. So these things round out to, to a quarter billion each, these manned aircraft. Well, if you were paying attention to Flight Radar 24 or any of the uh, open source uh, uh, civilian uh, you know, air traffic control apps, then you saw a RQ-4 take off from Sigonella, Sicily um, sometime late Thursday night, our time. And then it began orbiting off of Syria. And the last I checked, it had been in the air at 52,000 feet for 21 hours. And what was it doing? It was doing a couple things. But one of the things that it was doing was sucking up Russian air defense signals, both communication as well as uh, digital radar signals. And every time the Russians turn these systems on, they're giving up a little bit of operational security. The, the veil that these things are developed behind uh, and then revealed, and they're always... Uh, you know, people in NATO who are uh, preaching that the Russians are a generation ahead of us, the whole thing. But every time they use these systems, we get to find out more and more uh, about them. And the Russians know that. And so they made a cold calculation and they said, nope, um, uh, not this time. We're not going to power this thing up. Uh, you're just going to lose some buildings. Um, you're going to uh, lose your chemical research place, but you're not going to lose any people. Because the cost of us turning these things on and actually intercepting these missiles in the long run is, uh, is much bigger. The Israelis already can practically write a book about our, our radar. So we're not letting the Americans know anymore. All right, back in a minute. It is a dark secret place. Brian Suits in here until midnight. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Michael Chappé with the news. KFI AM 640. More stimulating stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until uh, midnight. So to review, yeah, the uh, the North Koreans paid very close attention to the success of the American, French, and British cruise missiles, both in precision targeting, um, actually hitting the targets, and then secondly, actually, actually destroying the targets. They also paid attention to the Russians not doing anything, and they learned the lesson there, which is don't de depend on uh, your Russian friends to uh, save your ass. Well, what about the Chinese? What did the Chinese see? Well, l last night was not exactly uh, a great pivot, you know, in, in, in uh, the, the world's uh, history of combat and, and conflict. It was a continuation of something begun in the 80s, and that, that was the, uh, the uh, proliferation of, of cruise missile technology. We're now in an age where uh, the Russians continue to test a nuclear-powered cruise missile that, when uh, rocket launched into the atmosphere, uh, sort of jumpstarts its nuclear reactor, which sucks in cold air, and it superheats it. And as it superheats, it expands, and it shoots it out the back with a jet effect. Well, they, they've been crashing their nuclear cruise missile all around Siberia now for a year, 
but they continue to uh, to work on it. And the the advantage that would give you, of course, would be you could launch cruise missiles on a Monday, and they could orbit the Earth several times, you know, by Thursday. And they could loiter as slowly as they want. They could circle around for a month. Of course, they could be detected and tracked uh, pretty easily, or they could fly very low through mountains, and they could lose the tracking. Uh, but they would, and this, and the assumption is that they would, if you're going to uh, put in that much effort into a cruise missile, that it would probably be nuclear armed. Uh, so the the Russians continue to advance their own technology in cruise missiles, and the assumption is that they're very good and they're probably very advanced. The Chinese are far behind the Russians, and they're way behind us. So the Chinese saw what happened last night, and they they learned the same lesson as the North Koreans, and that is don't count on the Russians for anything. But what what would the Chinese takeaway be? Would it be our air defense isn't good enough uh, for this, or would it be we need to develop our own generation of uh, world beaters, of, of uh, cutting-edge technology cruise missiles? Well, the reality is it's actually both. Uh, the, the Chinese have been emphasizing indigenous air defense. They know not to rely on the Russians to give them full, uh, uh, you know, full, complete editions uh, of a of a Russian-built air defense system that the Russians notoriously will give you what's called a monkey model. No matter what it is you buy, a tank, uh, a ship, uh, an anti-aircraft system, or even a fighter plane, the Russians reserve certain capabilities just for the Russian version, and no matter how much you pay, you'll never get it. So the Chinese know, uh, they know when they bought Russian Su-27 fighters, and they retro, uh, they, they reverse-engineered them, and then built their own version, the Chinese know that they're not looking at a plane exactly like the Russian version of the S-227. So the Chinese set about uh, years ago in developing their own indigenous air defense systems um, because they know full well that any future war, probably with the United States uh, or against an American ally, will feature an enemy uh, hitting them with unmanned aircraft, with a lot of unmanned aircraft. We really like unmanned aircraft, and the Chinese know that we like unmanned systems, both as reconnaissance uh, and drones to kill terrorists, but also, as you saw last night, uh, the current generation of cruise missiles are pretty devastating and, and pretty amazingly simple. And so the Chinese like that. The Chinese like the idea of not losing people, but sinking sinking American aircraft carriers. Now, the, the Chinese first idea... For sinking an aircraft carrier is the so-called aircraft carrier killer, the DF-21, uh, which is a ballistic missile is what it is. You launch it straight up. It re-enters the Earth's uh, atmosphere at Mach 8, but it has terminal guidance. You can actually uh, guide the thing into a into a top attack, 1,000-pound warhead, basically a V-2, like World War II, uh, hitting London or something. The reason for this is because the uh, the Chinese know that the task of getting a cruise missile across wave tops close enough into an American carrier group is a, a pretty uh, pretty daunting task. We have aircraft in the air specifically looking for this. We have outlier frigates and destroyers who do nothing but air defense. And then at, at the end of the day, we have cl the close-in weapon system actually on the carriers. And unless the cruise missile is hypersonic, um, and, and, and that is, you know, Mach 3, Mach 4, and it can actually guide and, and hit a target unless the cruise missile uh, actually flies faster 
than uh, the missile launched to shoot it down, then don't even try it. It's a complete waste of your time. So the, the Chinese lesson here is that they need to redouble their research efforts into cruise missiles because what they saw last night is, is the most likely future of war, that if the United States wants to send China a message about, um, about dredging up sand and making islands in the South China Sea, we're not going to do it with manned aircraft. Uh, if there are manned aircraft uh, approximately 1,000 miles away, uh, for instance, B-52s taking off from Guam, uh, are each B-52 is going to launch 20 to 30 cruise missiles, uh, and then each B-1B is going to launch uh, 30 to 40 cruise missiles. So the Chinese are going to see uh, four aircraft launch approximately 80 to 90 cruise missiles that will impact simultaneously. They will impact, they'll be incoming faster than the uh, the Chinese air defense systems can actually physically reload. And this is uh, pure mathematics, and the Chinese know that. So the, the Chinese takeaway on this is uh, really not changed because they have known this for years. The, the gap with them is they don't have the technology uh, right now to create an actual carrier-killing cruise missile. In the case of the United States, this has not really been a concern of ours because we haven't been facing adversaries with cruise missiles. Um, and we don't even know that the, the Chinese uh, can adequately guard their own aircraft carrier. If they can, then, uh, then we already have a generation of hypersonic cruise missiles. We already have them they're ready to go. So for the Chinese, um, is there a scenario where the Chinese would execute a similar assault on a regional enemy? Would the Chinese uh, go to war with Japan in the next 10 years? Well, if they do, they will probably in 10 years have a generation of cruise missiles that could do what we did last night in Syria. And the Chinese would rely on those because you got to admit, as a first wave of an aerial assault, it sure beats the crap out of manned aircraft. Uh, because uh, if, if the Russians had actually turned their air defense system against the Tomahawk cruise missiles, uh, I guess we'll never know until one day when that system is in combat. But the Russians seem to to think that uh, they could have shot half of the tomahawks down, at which point, uh, though that sounds impressive, uh, at which at that point you simply shoot twice as many. There's a countermeasure for your effective air defense, and that is send more craft, send more targets. And it's not like World War II where we have to suddenly discover we have to double our pilots. No, we can just shoot more cruise missiles. All right, back in a minute. Uh, today in war. A, uh, an interesting day in the 12th century uh, was today. Wait, wait till you hear what was banned uh, with the intent of ending war as we knew it in the 12th century. Right after this, Dark Seeker replaced Brian Suits in here until midnight, KFI AM 640. More stimulating talkers. Michael Chappé with the news. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is a Dark Seeker replaced Brian Suits in here. Uh, one more time. And tomorrow night for Super April Local Sunday. Uh, I'll play some some best of Art Bell, Art Bell dad at the age of 72, a legendary guy in radio, especially uh, late night radio, uh, and the uh, the predecessor to our, our good friend George Norrie. Um, so March 10th, 241, uh, the year 0241, year 241, uh, the end of the first Punic War. War, uh, uh, the war, three wars between the Roman Empire and the Carthaginians. And who are the Carthaginians? Exactly. 
Um, you you'd call it modern day Tunisia and Algeria, but uh, there's no no Carthage anymore. The first Punic War ended after the uh, the Romans sank the Carthaginian fleet at the Battle of the Egates Islands. Uh, that was the end of that. Carthage, though a uh, a naval juggernaut in trade, uh, were not really up to Roman standards uh, navally. But that's that's not what's interesting about. Um, about history tonight. It was in 1146, the year 1146, as the crossbow had uh, taken the world by storm. Uh, For instance, the first Chinese army uh, war elephant corps was defeated by crossbows in the year 971. Uh, The war elephant corps of the Southern Han dynasty uh, defeated uh, was defeated at the Battle of Shao by crossbow fire from the Song Dynasty troops. Uh, and as a general rule in ancient warfare, whatever side brought elephants to the battlefield lo- is about to lose really, really badly. Uh, there's only one or two instances where elephants have successfully led a uh, an ancient army uh, to uh, victory on the battlefield. In in general. Bet that the side that didn't bring their elephants is about to lose. And in this case, uh, crossbows with their lethality and their accuracy, or rather the accuracy leading to greater lethality, uh, defeated a elephant army. Because you just frankly cannot armor elephants enough uh, to defeat uh, crossbows. Well, crossbows were then introduced fairly quickly to Europe where the the crossbow very quickly became the, uh, the the power on the battlefield because it was easily mass produced. Uh, the user uh, could be quickly and easily trained, so you could field a large army of of uh, moderately trained people, which would always defeat a small army of noblemen or professionals, especially with these new crossbows. Well, in 1146, crossbows were outlawed in Europe. The intention was to end war for all time because in 1146, the uh, the idea was that these things came from the east. Uh, these are the most deadly weapons anyone has ever seen. Nothing could possibly be more deadly than this thing I hold in my hand. This crossbow can take a nobleman down at 100 yards with a um, with a, a two farthing bolt. Uh, crossbows fired either a modified arrow, such as you would find in a regular bow and arrow, or it fired a heavier, uh, a heavier projectile called a bolt, which uh, sometimes was uh, an iron core. And why was it that? Well, because it was armor piercing. And so you could take a nobleman down, a guy who brought 10 horses to the battle uh, and four sets of armor and five different, uh, you know, assistants and handmen uh, and you could take that guy down with a, a mass-produced dart being fired by a 16-year-old farm kid. So this was absolutely not the way cricket was done. So it was the church, it was the Catholic church that, um, and a lot, there's a lot of myth about this, that, that, that crossbows, in fact, weren't banned from warfare, but the church thought, well, we should ban Christian nations from using them against each other. Of course, you could still use a crossbow on a crusade, but you just couldn't use them uh, on a European battlefield. Of course, the Europeans absolutely ignored this edict 
and continued using crossbows. Crossbows gave way to the uh, the, the first uh, iteration of uh, a firearm, uh, simply with a, a smooth barrel and a giant ball and a bunch of black powder down the bottom. Uh, and it just it just cracks me up because it's just another case of history repeating itself. Because of course, you you fast forward to the late 19th century, Alfred Nobel um, invents TNT, trinitrotoluene. It is so destructive. It's so much more destructive than dynamite or regular gunpowder that it's declared um, uh, the end of war because TNT would make war so absolutely destructive and deadly that nobody, only an insane person, would ever go to war again because TNT was so deadly. Uh, And this is one of the recurring themes in history is that whenever someone has a breakthrough moment and comes up with a leap in technology that makes war uh, more deadly, more lethal, or more destructive, that person, for, uh, psychologically, I'd love to get a, I'd love to get Sigmund Freud on this, but that person is always positive that they have discovered the end of war because they've made a more destructive weapon, which tells me that we're dealing with brilliant chemists who have never cracked a history book. All right, that's it for Dark Secret Place for tonight, 13, pardon me, 14th of April, 2018. We'll be back tomorrow night at uh, 8 p.m. for Super Hyper Local Sunday. And uh, have a good night. Talk to you later. Coast to Coast is up next. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk.